Shalom. This is Gary Duroshinsky, Congregational Leader of Beth Ariel Messianic Congregation. Thank you for downloading our message. We're delighted to make it available to you through the generous donations of our members and friends at Beth Ariel. We know that many are struggling financially because of the challenges facing our economy, and we do not want financial issues to keep anyone from enjoying our teachings. So please continue to listen in as often as you like. But if our presentations have been beneficial to you, and you are able to provide a financial donation to Beth Ariel, whether large or small, would you prayerfully consider sending a gift in support of our ministry? You can donate online through our website at bethariel.org. That is spelled B-E-T-H-A-R-I-E-L dot org. Also, please remember to pray for us that we would be responsive to the Lord's guidance as we reach out to the lost sheep of the House of Israel in the greater Los Angeles area. Thank you, and I hope you enjoyed this message at these seven festivals. Let's put the Sabbath on the side for a moment. But our first festival is the festival of Passover. And Passover looked forward to the Lamb of God that would take away the sin of the world, right? That's what how John introduces Messiah, the herald of the king, when we get to the Brit HaDashah, the New Covenant Scriptures. But Passover is about the deliverance of the Jewish people from Egypt. It's about redemption, And so that starts us off in thinking about God's plan of redemption for his people and the world. So it's no accident that Passover is fulfilled by Messiah's coming, for that's when he died, right? He gave his life for us on the festival of Passover. Thursday night, he celebrated the Seder with his disciples. Early that morning, he was then arrested. And so on the day of Passover, he was dying for our sin. Now, after Passover, you have seven days called the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Now, Jewish people speak about Passover Passover as being an eight-day festival. But technically, it's a one-day festival, followed by seven days of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. But the Jewish people, myself included, we're not a complicated people. So given the first day is Passover, the seven, se- the seven consecutive days following Passover is the Feast of Unleavened Bread, we've got an eight-day festival. And we just call it Passover. But for seven days, we will not eat any bread that contains yeast. That's leaven. Because in the Bible, leaven is a symbol for sin. So in the Hebrew Scriptures, no burnt offerings could be offered with leaven. Remember, Yeshua said, beware of the leaven of the scribes and the Pharisees, teaching false teachings. Remember, Paul said, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, your glorying is not good. Don't you know a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Purge out that old leaven that ye may may be unleavened, for Messiah, our Passover, has been sacrificed for us. Wherefore, let us keep the feast, not with the old leaven of wickedness and malice, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. So leaven symbolizes sin, and Messiah was unleavened. The one who is called the Lechem HaChayim, the bread of life, was born in Bethlehem, the city or village of bread. And that one who is the bread of life was unleavened bread because he was sinless. And by virtue of his sinlessness, he could carry our sins, he can bear our sorrows, as Isaiah 53 says, in our behalf. And so the feast of Passover, we remember that Yeshua died for our sins. Feast of unleavened bread, 
We remember he was sinless and therefore could die for our sins. But the third day of Passover is another Jewish festival. And that's why I always loved being raised Jewish, you know, because whenever we came to these Jewish festivals, I could stay home from school. (laughs) And all my Gentile friends would say, you're not going to school again? No, it's a Jewish festival. (laughs) And so on the third day of Passover, we had the Feast of First Fruits. And it was on that third day that Yeshua rose from the dead. And so he rose as the first fruits of those who sleep, those who have died. During the Feast of First Fruits, the Jewish harvester would harvest his crops and he would bring them into the temple as an offering to the Lord. He would offer up and he would bring up about one tenth of what he harvested. That one-tenth that was brought on the Feast of First Fruits represented everything he had. He gave one-tenth, but it symbolized, God, everything I have belongs to you. This is just a tenth representing it. And if you so deem it necessary or desirous of me to give you everything, I'll give you everything. So when Yeshua rose from the dead on the third day, he represents everyone who is in him. The reason why we have the promise and surety of being raised is because he is the first fruits of those who are raised from the dead. He was raised on the feast of first fruits, and he's the only one who was raised from the dead so as never to die again. Others were resurrected, but all of those who were resurrected have died. Lazarus no longer walks the earth. The Lord rose him from the dead, but sometime subsequent, he did die. And that was true for everyone in the scripture who was raised from the dead. They eventually die, but not Yeshua. He rose from the dead to ascend into heaven, to be glorified and to be seated at the right hand of our heavenly father. One day you and I will rise from the dead, never to die again. Some will have died and they will rise first. Some of us will not experience death at all. And we will just be changed in an instant, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, and we will be brought up into the very presence of God, even as Messiah descends to the clouds and we are called up to meet him in the air. The Feast of First Fruits reminds us of Yeshua, who's the first fruits of all who have died. And because of his resurrection, we too one day shall be resurrected as well. And then 50 days later, is the Feast of Shavuot, Feast of Weeks. It comes from the Hebrew word Sheva, seven. And so it's the Feast of Sevens, seven sevens of weeks. And so that's 49 days, plus the day we start with is 50 days. That's why we call it Pentecost, the 50-day feast. But it was 50 days later that Messiah gave the gift that he had promised to all those who would believe in him. He said, I must go away so that the Comforter may come. I'm not really that pleased with the word comforter. You know, parakletos, one called alongside. It really means a legal advocate. Whenever I think of comforter, I think it's wintertime and I'm going to go in under my covers, <laughs> under my comforter. No, no, no. It's, it's not, he's not a comforter, you know. Or sometimes I think of, you know, when I'm going through trials and tribulations, I got to call some of my friends so that they can give me some counsel. Some wise insight. That's not what the word counselor or comforter means. Parakletos means one who is a legal advocate, who is pleading our case in our behalf. 
And so Messiah said, unless I go away, he cannot come. But when he comes, he not only will be with you, he will be in you. A whole new ministry of the indwelling presence of the very spirit of God in our innermost being because of what Messiah has done for us. And so when Yeshua was resurrected, he spent another 40 days with his disciples. And then he told them to wait in Jerusalem for the promised gift that he had said he would send. And then on that day of Shavuot, the Feast of Weeks, Pentecost, the Spirit of God descends and the body of believers is created by virtue of the Spirit's presence. So within a 50-day span, these first four festivals, all found in Leviticus 23, have been fulfilled with respect to the first coming of Messiah. When he came the first time, he died for our sins as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, our Passover lamb sacrifice. When he came the first time, he came as the unleavened one who was sinless. When he came the first time, he was the first one who rose from the dead to represent us during the Feast of First Fruits, on the Feast of First Fruits. And then on the Feast of Shavuot or Pentecost, he gave us the gift of his spirit that he promised to us. All with respect to his first coming. All happening very literally. And then there's a very interesting passage in Leviticus 23. Let me show you this because, you know, whenever I come back to these passages, different things jump out at you, don't they, sometimes? And even though you may have read them hundreds and hundreds of times, all of a sudden something strikes you and you say, gee, I never saw this before. And here's something I had never seen before except in preparation for tonight at Rosh Hashanah. Look at verse 22 of chapter 23. It says this, after he's told us about Passover, the Feast of First Fruits, and the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and the Feast of Weeks, he then says this, Moses is writing, When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge, nor shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. So I read that passage and I said, what is that doing there? It makes absolutely no sense to me. Why did he just tell us about the Feast of Passover, Feast of Unleavened Bread, Feast of First Fruits, Feast of Shavuot, and then he's going to tell us about the Feast of Trumpets, Yom Kippur, and Sukkot, and right there between them, he starts telling us about harvesting. He just says, when you harvest, leave stuff on the edges of your harvest so that when the poor who have need for food are looking for food, they can come to the, the uh, grounds and they can find some things to sustain them. That's what happens in the book of Ruth, right? Ruth is gleaning, and she finds some food. But why? This is about festivals. And here's the interesting thing. There's four months between the Feast of Shavuot and Rosh Hashanah, or the Feast of Trumpets. There's a four-month hiatus, period of time. The first four were within 50 days. Here's another interesting thing. The latter three festivals are all within two weeks. Tonight is Rosh Hashanah, 10 days later is Yom Kippur, and then just a week later is Sukkot. We're done. Now, in my thinking, these latter three festivals are about Messiah's second coming. The first four are about his first coming, his redemptive career when he came about 2,000 years ago. The latter three festivals are about his promised return when he comes again. And what's interesting is the events of his second coming are in rapid succession. You've got the rapture, you've got the Feast of Trumpets, and then you have a period of judgment that lasts seven days, seven years, and then Messiah is here. Very quick. 
But with regard to the first coming, there's a whole 50-day extension. But between the first and second comings, we read of this portion about harvesting. And that harvesting period is a distance of about four months. So it makes me think, the distance between the first coming and second coming is a rather large distance. It's been about 2,000 years. It's sort of like a four-month period. It's a, very, it's a lengthier period of time. But then it made me think of this passage. You don't have to turn there, but you can if you like. In John chapter 4, there's an interesting statement that Messiah makes. Because in John chapter 4, Messiah meets up with a Samaritan woman. And he shares with her his Messiahship. She says, we know that when Messiah comes, he'll tell us all things. And what does Messiah say? He says, hmm, let me think about that. You know, what can I do with that comment? It's very simple. He says, I'm him. The one who speaks to you is him. He acknowledges he's the Messiah. And then she goes back to the village. And what does she do? She brings a whole bunch of people from the Samaritan village to the Messiah, to himself. Now, before he does that, he said that he was hungry. So the disciples left for a time to get food for him. Then they come back. He's not hungry anymore. And here's an interesting verse. In chapter 4, in around verse 35 or so, but look at verse 34. He said, Yeshua, so the disciples said to one another, when they bring him back food, verse 31, his disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I'm not hungry. I have food to eat. I've already eaten. And you don't know about this. So in verse 33, he says, the disciples said to one another, has someone else brought him something to eat? And Yeshua said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Now get this. Do you not say there are four months? That's the difference, distinction between Pentecost and the Feast of Trumpets. He says, do you not and where was it? Um, do you not say there are yet four months? Then comes the harvest. Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. You know what I think that verse is, is about? It's about what we are to be about now between the first and second comings of Messiah. What are we to be about? We're to be about harvesting. Don't we say four months is a harvest? Pentecost has occurred. The first coming of Messiah is complete. He's coming again. Our role is to be a role of harvesting. We're to be telling people about the beauty and splendor and majesty and glory of our Messiah. And that is doing the will of the one who has sent us. Remember, he may have saved us, but he's also sent us. I love that verse. I used to say, you know, Yeshua speaks Chinese. When he says, I think it's in Luke, as the Lord has sent me, so send I you. <laughs> that, that, that's not my joke. That's not my joke. I can't take credit for that. But, but it stuck with me. So send I you. Yeshua may have saved us. But just as he was sent, so he sends us. He says, go into all the world and proclaim the good news. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the age. So that's what we're supposed to be doing. And we're to be doing it until he comes again. And so when we look at Rosh Hashanah, Rosh Hashanah 
There's five different names, by the way, of this festival in the Jewish tradition. Rosh Hashanah means Rosh is a head, Shana is year. Rosh Hashanah is the head of the year, the beginning of the year. And that's because the Jewish tradition is the world was created on 5,778 years ago. And so we celebrate this as the beginning of the year. The festival is also called the Day of Shouting for Joy. Because when God created the world some 5,778 years ago, if the rabbis are right, we're told in Job chapter 38, verse 7, that the angels rejoiced when he created the world. They shouted for joy. And so just as the angels shouted for joy, so the rabbis say, on this day that we remember the creation of the world, we too are to shout for joy. And that's why we sang like we did sing this evening because we're to be making a joyful noise to the Lord. So the rabbis call this the day of the shouting of joy. They call it Rosh Hashanah, the head of the year, the beginning of the year. They also call it Yom Teruah, the day of the blasting, the sounding of the shofar. We're going to be sounding the shofar in a moment. And when we sound the shofar, as much as sometimes we sort of make light of it, it's really a very serious matter. Because the shofar, when it's blown, is meant to call us to repentance. As we enter the new year, we're to take inventory of our lives. And we're to ask, how ought we to be living in the coming year? We're to remember that there is one who always stands accusing us before the Father. Zechariah 3 shows us this. Revelation shows us this. He's the accuser of the brethren. And so the blowing of the shofar is to remind us there's an enemy afoot. And as the shofar is blown, we're to be mindful of this and to draw all of our strength and power and might from the Holy One of Israel. And so we blow the shofar to call us to repentance. We blow the shofar to remember there's an enemy afoot that we need to be alert to and to be in battle against, putting on the whole armor of God. And so the rabbis call this the day of judgment because according to Jewish tradition, Three books are opened in heaven. There is the book of the righteous. And so our hope is that we would be inscribed for a good year. That's why we say, Lashana Tova Tikatevu. May you be inscribed for a good year. And that we would be inscribed in the book of life. And of course, there is a book of life in the Bible. Both the Hebrew scriptures, the Brit HaDashah, speak of it. The rabbis also tell us that there is a book of the wicked. And so in which the wicked will be inscribed for a bad year. And then in front of him, there is the book of the average. Those that are not so terribly wicked or those that are so wholly righteous. They're just average. And they have 10 days to repent so that they might be inscribed into the book of life. And so this day is a day of judgment. And I've always reflected on that. And I always thought, and I remember even talking to the rabbis, how does one become certain that they are inscribed in the book of life? How do we know that? Well, what's so fascinating to me is that this is why Messiah came. Because he is the way, the truth, and the life. And by being the way of life, he inscribes us in the book of life. Of life, And that's how you get inscribed in the book of life. You know, the rabbis tell you, no, 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 it's a matter of teshuva and tzedakah and tefillah. It's a matter of prayer 
and of repentance and of good deeds. Tzedakah is like good deeds. You know, Melchiz Tzedek, the king of righteousness. Tzedakah is righteous acts, good deeds. Tefillah is the word for prayer. You know, Jewish people put on their forehead and on their arms the tefillin. comes from the word for prayer. And prayer means to worship. And teshuva, the word shuv, means to return, to turn. And so teshuva or repentance means to change your mind. Agree with God about what he says is true about us. And I could go into more things, but think about this. If getting inscribed in the book of life depends upon our repenting, our praying and worshiping and our good deeds, we're in real trouble. Because none of us can do enough good deeds. None of us can repent fully. I don't even know all the things I need to repent of. And none of us knows how to worship, really. That's why we need the one to indwell within us, to inspire us to worship as we ought. But if it's going to be all about what we do, we're in serious trouble. Because none of us can be worshiping fully or doing good deeds or repenting appropriately. We needed someone that would be merciful to us. We need someone to pay the price for us. We need someone to bear our lack in whatever area of life we have a lack. And we have a lack in doing good deeds and in repenting and in worshiping. We need someone who can pick up the slack for us because we are dead in trespasses and sins. And that's why Messiah came. And Rosh Hashanah, the blowing of the shofar, is to draw our attention to the promise of Messiah in what he's done for us and giving his life a ransom for many and what he's promised to us that he's coming again. And we want everyone to be ready for him when he comes so that they might be brought into his presence to worship him, to glorify him, and not have to bear their sin before him. We want him to bear our sin for us that we can stand righteous before God. And we don't stand in our own righteousness. Paul says in Corinthians, he is our righteousness. He is our holiness. And the question is, is he your righteousness and is he my righteousness? That's the question we have to answer. And the way he becomes that is simply by saying, Lord, I need you to be my righteousness. Forgive me of my sin and come into my life. And the wonderful thing about the Lord is there is not a soul, there is not a prayer he would not answer, there is not a soul he would not come to. Because he so loves the world that he came into the world to give his life for us. Well, let's pray. And I'm going to ask Bob if you'd come. And while we're praying, just come on up, Bob. So, Father, we thank you for your word to us this night. On Rosh Hashanah, the blowing of the shofar, the time when you've promised that you'll return with the blowing of the shofar, you'll gather your people during the time of the blowing of the shofar. But the shofar is an announcement. It is a call. It is a wake-up call. It is a reminder to us all of our need for you. And so as the shofar is blown, might you speak to our hearts. 
And may we reflect on our great need and on your amazing provision in our behalf. We pray. Thank you for listening to our message. We hope that it serves to encourage you in your walk with the Lord and your service to him. Do remember us in your prayers. And if you are able to provide a financial donation to Beth Ariel, whether large or small, would you prayerfully consider sending a gift in support of our ministry? You can donate online through our website at BethAriel.org. That is spelled B-E-T-H-A-R-I-E-L.org. Thank you again, and may our Heavenly Father richly bless you as you continue to follow Him. Shalom, shalom.